Hey, serious privacy enthusiasts, ready to ace your AI data privacy game? Oh, you bet, Kate. Dive into the world of TrustSark's Nemity Research, your go-to for staying on top of regulatory developments in AI and privacy. Seriously, Nimity Research maintains a massive privacy and regulatory database featuring expert guidance and analysis from legal and privacy pros. So save time on privacy research, cut your compliance timeline, and reduce costs with Nimity Research. Get your regulatory research and insight at your fingertips with a free trial. So get ahead in privacy compliance and start that free trial today. Go to trustark.com slash nimity dash free dash trial. This is Serious Privacy by Trustar. Here are your hosts, Paul Breitbart and Kay Royal. When Kay and I recorded our conversation this week, it was still a relatively quiet week in privacy. Sure, there were some updates to discuss, including an interesting case on the independence of the Data Protection Authority in Spain, data protection becoming an issue in soccer sponsorship deals, and the U.S. Supreme Court dealing with standing issues in surveillance cases. But there was no really big news. Until a few days after the recording, when suddenly U.S. President Joe Biden and President of the European Commission Ursula von der Leyen announced that a deal has been reached, in principle, for a replacement of the privacy shield. So just so you know, we don't talk about the transatlantic data transfer agreement in today's episode, but we will surely do so next week. For now, just enjoy episode 99, where we discuss some of the other things that happened last week. My name is Paul Breitbart. And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. I will apologize up front if my voice sounds bad. Apparently, I have a little bit of cough and sinus. It's not COVID. Actually, y'all may like my voice better today. Add a glass of whiskey to it, maybe. Yeah, that might hurt. Although at 9.30 a.m., that might not be the best idea. <laughs> oh, okay. So here's one. What was the last text message you sent? Um, oh, God. Um, yeah. I'm going to look at mine. Now, this, this means, are you looking at your phone text messaging? Are you looking at your Facebook text messaging? Well, I don't do Facebook text messaging for since forever. I do meta text messaging Still on, on WhatsApp, unfortunately. <laughs> Let's see. It was a message to a friend telling him that I'm having a coffee appointment tomorrow at a coffee roastery that is located next to where I will move in three years' time when my new built house is ready. Asking him if he would want some coffee beans. There you go. Nothing too exciting. <laughs> Mine was... Uh... Mine was to a law firm that had asked me to do something for them, no legal or privacy consulting or anything, just someone at a law firm that I know. And my message was, we've returned, I'll look into it. <laughs> also not the most exciting message in the world. Not the most exciting message, whatever. Not, definitely not. Let me jot down that I use this one. It was funny because I even showed Kirk the the book that we use. He's like, unexpected do you like pull them out of a hat or make them up i'm like i actually use a book and there's 365 questions in here and we haven't got through a third of them yet not yet well we we should because we've been doing the unexpected questions for a while and we are almost at episode 100 episode 100 wow if, that's gonna be exciting if the count is correct and this is episode 99 actually Ooh, could be so People, you have an opportunity to shoot us your questions or your comments or what would you like to hear or 
or something. You know, what do you, what do you want for the 100th episode? Just use Serious Privacy at TrustArc.com or info at SeriousPrivacy.eu and ask all your questions. Yes, because we loved it when we did the, the fan episode where we just shot in questions and comments from the fans. That was awesome. So let's talk about privacy, Paul. How's this week been? Let's Exciting? talk about privacy, Paul. You want to talk about me? Because that's how I'm known now in the office as Privacy Paul. <laughs> that's also because our head of security is also called Paul. So we have Security Paul and Privacy Paul. And then we also have HR Paul. There's only one K. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But I will say that since I joined a uh, essentially a startup company, they were using everyone's first name as their email address. And with my group's hire, they decided to use first and last name. I'm like, aww. I want my first name too, just my first name, k at outschool.com, which by the way, if that's hard for anyone to figure out what my email address is, that's scary anyway. <laughs> so so I think they gave me an alias of k at outschool.com. Now I had k at trustart.com too as an alias, but nobody ever used it. Well, still, but it's nice to have it. I like it. I like it. Okay, let's talk about what's going on in privacy then. There's not really earth-shattering news anywhere. There is not earth-shattering news, but there are a lot of nice little tidbits and there are lots of documents again. I mean, regulators should stop publishing at least this summer for July and August so that we can catch up in reading somehow. Right. Oh my gosh, there's so much reading to catch on. So this One thing we won't be discussing is the opinion of the European Data Protection Board on dark patterns in social media because I just haven't had the time to read it yet. I started reading it. I haven't finished it yet. But yes, that is one thing I plan to look at. But I will say that if if this isn't earth shattering, it's not the dinner. It's just the dessert. It's nice little, <laughs> nice little sweet things in privacy. Well, you can have a nice dessert dinner. That's uh, or a there, high there tea. There we go. <laughs> Actually, this may be surprising coming from me, but I want to talk sports. 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 You even know what that is. <laughs> I do know what it is. I'm not a big fan, not in looking at it and not at doing it, but sports is also a big money machine, as I'm pretty sure you are well aware. And Yes, March Madness is coming up here in the US. That is what? Ice hockey? Uh, that's basketball playoffs, ah. and uh, it's pretty cool. Okay. Everybody goes really crazy for March Madness. Okay, well, I want to talk soccer or football, or whatever the way you want to call it. Those two times 11, usually man on a pitch with one ball. And one of the <laughs> main teams in Europe is FC Barcelona in Spain. They have been a big team for a long time, and they have a new sponsor out of Sweden called Spotify that you also may be familiar with. Oh, vaguely, maybe. So Spotify purchased the naming rights for the famous Barcelona football stadium Camp Nou, which henceforth then will be known as the Spotify Camp Nou, and also a short sponsorship. And according to the Irish Spotify and also Spanish media outlets, Spotify pays for this three-year agreement around 280 million euro, so well over 300 million US dollars. Wow. But what makes it interesting from a privacy perspective is that apparently when Spotify approached Barcelona for sponsorship, 
They wanted to know how many of the 350 million followers around the world had also registered as fans, so social media followers, had registered as fans and also given the club consent to use their name, email address, phone numbers, and other data, for example, for advertising purposes. And Spotify was very disappointed that the number allegedly was less than 1%. And I can imagine so. Well, and that would also have had an impact on the price of the sponsorship contract, because Spotify was willing to pay much more if they could get a return on investment, not from performance or from other marketing agreements, but from buying the user data of FC Barcelona fans. And then, I mean, this is this is strange, even if they would have had the data, as, as Dara O'Brien pointed out rightly on, on his social media, that consent would not be valid for Spotify to reuse that data for a completely different purpose. Right. I mean, if you register as a fan of a football club, even if you know that your data may be sold and you consent to that sell, then still it would be up to Spotify to get the proper legal basis to use the data for them in turn. So to make a whole sponsorship contract dependent on on, on all of the acquiring of this data the acquisition of all this data, for me, it's just mind-blowing. Well, but I do think it's interesting the way that they're marketing it, though. In all of the the stories about it, they're talking about bringing music and football fans. Yeah. And how amazing is that? You know, you play music at the stadiums and music is near to the heart and all of this. So they're they're really spinning it. It's all about the good feeling. It is all about the good feeling. And of course, these are only media reports. Spotify hasn't commented. And with all these things, we'll probably never know what really is true of it. It's mind-blowing. And at the same time, you think, oh, well, yeah, this makes sense. This is perfectly logic from a company perspective that they want access to the data because a database of football fans that may be willing to buy 150 euro t-shirts, then why would they not? also be interested in in purchasing Spotify Premium or other products from the company. So it's surprising, and yet it's not. But I thought it was an interesting story to to also show that data protection is really everywhere, even in a marketing contract between an audio streaming service and a football club. Right. Very right. So, yeah. Trying to think where to go next. Do you well, have another one at the top of your mind? Some of the ones that I was looking Sure, at. let's stay in Spain. Do <laughs> let's what? move let's from Barcelona. Let's stay Bar- in Spain. Let's stay in Spain. Let's move from Barcelona to Madrid. Okay, I like that. Because the the main court, the highest court of Spain, the Supreme Court, has actually suspended the procedure on the nomination of a new data protection. They did so because The court thinks that this is not the right process. Let me start this again. So let's stay in Spain because... Okay, I like that. The the Spanish Supreme Court has actually suspended the procedure to nominate the new commissioner and also the new deputy commissioner of the Spanish DPA. The, the, The term of office is up and the government has started the procedure to nominate the new commissioner of commissioners in October last year. And apparently two names were already announced within a few days of also uh, announcing the whole process, which obviously is a bit strange if you want to do a whole public process 
where people can apply themselves to become the next data protection commissioner of Spain. And the government already announces that there has been a political deal on a whole range of nominations and that person A and person B have been already assigned as the, the designates for, for, for these positions. So two other candidates um, have actually gone to court to have this process reviewed and the court sided with them. So they suspended the whole process and said, no, this cannot be. You want to have a transparent process, then you also need to follow the full process and you cannot just at the start of the process already announce the outcome. And the court is, did this now. Strangely, that sounds logical. It does, yeah. I mean, the court, the court also here make, makes a lot of uh, a, a lot of sense, and the court also says that the data protection agency is an independent body, so it also needs an independent procedure to appoint the commissioner and the deputy. And the court had to interfere now because once the commissioner is appointed, there is no way back because then they are an independent commissioner of an independent agency that you cannot get rid of anymore. That is something we also saw in the case of the Commission v. Hungary back in 2012, when the Hungarian government decided to just replace the whole Data Protection Commission because they could not fire the previous commissioner. So in this situation also, the court intervened in an ongoing nomination process that was screwed from the beginning. How long does it take something like that to get resolved? I mean, if it's on hold, they mean for like weeks or days or months, probably not years. Well, I mean, they will need to restart. They will probably need to restart the process. So that will likely be another year. So it's likely that the current commissioner will have to stay in office longer than she planned to because the government made a mess of the succession. Yeah. So that is one case about independence of data protection authorities. We have another ongoing in Belgium where there has already been a long-running fight between some members of the Belgian Data Protection Commission and also of the Knowledge Center of the Data Protection Commission and the Belgian government. Some of those members allegedly are not independent enough, especially the members of the Knowledge Center, and they will be replaced. And in the same time, the Belgian government is trying to push through some amendments to the Data Protection Act also making the whole process for the nomination of members of the Data Protection Commission quite different. So the Belgian commissioner, David Stevens, has written a public statement stating that, in his view, the proposed changes by the government also go against the independence requirement and touch upon the independence of the Data Protection Authority in a way that is not in line with the GDPR or the case law of the Court of Justice of the European Union. So yeah, it's it's nothing. You get a little bit going on. It's nothing earth shifting, I think, but it's certainly big topics to to monitor because they may have a big impact in the longer run. Right, and we have a little bit on this side of the pond. I know we have some other in other countries too, but some interesting ones here. Nothing along the level of what you have, but maybe. So we have not had the governor sign the Utah's bill yet. But TrustArc does have the information us analyzing Utah's bill and what it would be like ready to go. So we're still waiting on that to be signed. I believe he has until March 24th. So by the time this podcast comes out, we might know if it's been passed or killed. 
So we may we may provide some updated information in in the blog on that. So we might talk about Utah a little bit just in case. But one of them that I thought was interesting, because this is a common practice here in the U.S. I don't know if it's a common practice in Europe, so you'll have to tell me. But the Legal Aid Society filed a federal lawsuit against the New York Police Department for an illegal DNA database. Now, this is you see on TV and in the movies where on the basis that someone has discarded the information. So left it out there. They spit out a piece of gum on the car, on the sidewalk or they took a sip from a can of a drink and threw it away or a straw or whatever. They discarded it. And once they discarded it, it is legal for the police to pick it up and process it to see if the DNA matches the DNA that they may have found at the crime scene. Well, apparently they went one step further and they started adding all of these DNAs they tested to a database. And the lawsuit alleges that on one thing, it is, it's not fair because it's a suspect index, which is what they've collected. And overwhelmingly, the DNA collected is on people of minorities. Of course, because... So they filed a lawsuit against them. So that's interesting. And of course, the law law department is pushing back and say the DNAs complies with all the DNA database complies with all applicable laws, is managed and used in accordance with the highest scientific standards set by independent accrediting bodies that have regularly reapproved the existence of the database, said their chief medical officer staff. So it's interesting that if this goes through and this lawsuit succeeds, this impacts every police department in the United States. Wow. And how long would they have to make changes? Yeah, pretty much they all do this. I mean, most of the time, as I said, they do it to compare the DNA DNA of the suspect to the DNA they may have collected at the crime scene. I don't know how common it is that they keep it in a database, but it follows along with, you know, we got the information, why would we get rid of it? So that makes sense. So that's interesting. And it it would be for law enforcement purposes. But of course, this is a database of millions and millions of people. One of the other ones that I thought was interesting is that the, I believe it's the DC circuit, but I'm trying to get up to the story, tried, the lawsuit against Facebook tried to name Mark Zuckerberg personally in a lawsuit against Meta, and a judge threw it out. So this was... That's unfortunate. It would have been nice to see him testify in court, too. Yeah, this this was last week. So a judge on Tuesday threw out motions by the Attorney General of D.C. to name Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Meta, as a defendant in a privacy lawsuit. And they... um, The judge quote about why he threw it out is interesting. The problem I have with this is that you waited three years. The judge waited three years to make a decision or? No, no, no. They they waited three years to add him to the lawsuit. Apparently the, the the suit was filed in December of 2018. What value does it add to name him? There is no more relief for the consumers to name him personally. And in that, I think I kind of agree. I think I'd have to go read the motions to add him to see what what logic they're relying on. I mean, it sounds, I mean, yeah, you want to name the CEO as a personal, but it's interesting. This is the lawsuit, by the way, I think that came from the Cambridge Analytica. 
So I think it's interesting. But I mean, I think as the CEO of the company, he would have had to be deposed and be a witness anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, so it's it's interesting to see what what they're. I mean, of course you you yeah. But anyway, it was thrown out. I thought that was interesting. Just one of those little privacy tidbits. What else do we have over here? Talking about talking about courts. Well, there there is another court case in the in the U.S. that is interesting, at least from the European perspective. And now I'm probably going to fumble some names, but this is the case of FBI v. Fazaga Fazaga. F-A-Z-A-G-A, which is a case from an FBI operation in 2006-2007, where agents send a paid informant into some of the largest mosques in Orange County, California. Ooh. And in this case, the government argued that the state secrets privilege required to uh, required the court to dismiss the claims that the FBI had unlawfully targeted Muslim community members. In other words, well, you don't know that we actually did this, uh, and you are not allowed to know that we did this, so you can also not take us to court for it. Oh. And the Supreme Court actually sided with that argument from the government. So basically, if you want to have standing in court, you need to do so on the basis of public information, which makes it very difficult because secret in uh, secret operations by virtue of their nature are secret and not public information so even if you know that you have been subject to secret surveillance then still you would not be able to go to court for it and that in turn of course makes a deal on a potential privacy shield replacement that we still hear is close but yeah it makes it much more difficult because if you, as a European, want to go to court and you need standing, but you can never get confirmation that any surveillance action took place on data that was transferred out of the EU to the US, then you cannot go to court. Being able to go to court was one of the conditions that the European court said Put for on, a privacy yeah. shield replacement. Well, that's going to complicate things. So yeah, maybe we should get Chris Huff on here and and see. I gotta follow. I gotta follow back up with him. He had he had indicated he was willing to do so, but of course the government had some questions on how the process would work, and I don't think I ever got the email from whoever the PR people or whatever to find out what it is that we're doing. So I need to follow back up on that. I will say that we have another one on Facebook involving Europe. So the Irish DPC did issue a fine. Yes, they did. 17 million. So they say it represents a GDPR landmark because it was the first time Article 60 was done. So this was in the agreed upon, you know, everyone had to review this and look at it. It's in a, it's, the fine is in addition to the draft decision from last year that we spoke about where they might have to pay the additional 28 or 36 million. And all of these result back to the data breaches between June and December of 2018. So it's interesting. It says that the ultimate penalty looks to be about 1% of the initial proposition, although it is still a substantial sum. There was an apparent dispute among national data protection authorities about the amount of the fine. Germany and Poland are known to have objected, and the nature of that dispute was not made public big surprise. Although we did see some of the fallout from that publicly. (laughs) 
but we didn't actually know the the details of it. And so all that we do know is that it was the first time that Article 60 was used. We talked about it last year in one of our podcast episodes. We'll look at listing that for you here. But interesting that the, the fine has been issued now and not a huge fine, frankly. No, but this is still the interim fine while everybody is waiting for the big one. And that is still within the within the, the, the secrets of the European Data Protection Board. It is apparently going through the consistency mechanism or maybe already through the dispute resolution mechanism, but it's there. So yeah. we just have to wait probably a few more weeks and sometime this spring, we will hear the decision on the big Facebook fine. Right. And we do know that the Irish GPC is facing quite a bit of criticism on their soft touch when it comes to these mega, mega U.S. firms. And I think they're facing a lawsuit. I was just looking that up. The Irish Council for Civil Liberties had filed a lawsuit against the Irish DPC for taking such a soft touch, alleging their inaction over the largest data breach ever, in quotes. And the Irish High Court had agreed to hear it. So... I don't know that we've heard anything further out of that, just that there's a lawsuit on it. So we'll see what happens. I'm not going to ask Paul if he thinks that the Irish DPC is taking a soft touch. When we spoke to, yeah, when we spoke to Helen about the action she was taking, she sounded to me like she was pretty firm and gung-ho on being able to enforce the GDPR and the privacy rights of people and how much that she actually deals with and that she was significantly ramping up her staff because of the load. So I did not get any impression personally that she intended to take a soft touch on these megatech firms. No, I don't I don't think so. And I, I honestly believe that she feels she is not. I just think that the regulators are not aligned on, on what a soft touch or a hard touch should be in this case or in these cases. And there are some, some very strange procedural issues. If you if you look at some of the, the publications also from Noib and others that are before the Irish DPC about confidentiality and secrecy requirements that just also to me do not always make sense. But it could be that those are custom in in Irish law or in Irish procedure that I'm just not familiar with. So I mean I'm I never studied Irish law. I'm not planning to study Irish law to be honest either. Yeah. We're just not close enough to the fire or the frying pan. <laughs> no, probably not. And we'll see when the decision comes. Um yeah. and then we'll we'll comment based on the merits of the decision and what we think of it then. Well I think the one thing we can count on is that nothing in the law moves quickly. True. Nothing. It will be slow for all of it. And I I hope this does level out in a fair manner. That's what the courts are there for, to make sure it's fair. I hate that they're facing this criticism because, I don't know, I, I get that people have complaints or dissatisfaction with these. And let's be fair. Frankly, it's these mega American tech firms. And um, I, I get that. I, I'm not discounting the significance of that whatsoever. I just think there's a lot more at play here than just accusing the Data Protection Authority of being lazy. Yeah, that's a prob- probably a fair statement. That's probably a fair statement. So that went our tidbits on privacy this week. No, I've got one more. I've got oh, one more. Oh, one more? 
those who, who followed our social media have already seen, but a few weeks ago, we had Shura Nassas as our guest here in the podcast, and she was very excited about yes. the DPIA that was forthcoming, but that she couldn't name yet. And that one is public by now. It was actually released on, I don't know what, March? 16. 17 March. 17 March. And that is one on Zoom. And I think everybody knows Zoom and also the, <laughs> the derived word Zoom fatigue after two years of, of COVID meetings online. Yes. But Zoom, of course, very quickly became for many organizations uh, a go-to piece of software for all those uh, those conference calls. They yep. ramped up their their size very quickly, also their functionality very quickly. And very quickly made news. And very quickly made news because it was discovered that their security was not up to par, their data protection provisions were not up to par. A lot of Zoom bombings, drop-ins. Exactly. So the reputation was compromised, to say the least. At the same time, my personal view is that it is probably one of the most user-friendly tools when it comes to video conferencing that's out there. It just works. Right. It does what it says on the packet. Well, in my opinion, was that companies that, that face that kind of public... Scrutiny? Trying to look for the right word. Flogging? <laughs> public flogging is a good word. And not to mention, you know, they didn't like the idea of the Zoom bombings and drop-ins either. So it's my opinion that companies that face that are really the ones that are going to step up and do the right things because they want to overcome it. They want to offset it. So my faith in Zoom never dropped. We use it at OutSchool. No, my faith also didn't drop. And I and actually like the fact that they were so public and so vocal about yeah. it. Yes, we did some things wrong and we are going to improve it and this is how we're going to do it and this is what we're going to change. Yep. Well, Shura's team has now completed the DPIA on behalf of the Dutch government and the higher education system, like all of them, and have also renegotiated with Zoom on the Enterprise Data Protection Agreement. Zoom has resolved all the known high risks, so everything that... Shura's tech experts found out as part of the whole process has been mitigated. There are still a few low risks that remain if you are using Zoom, but a privacy company has also listed how you can address those, for example, by setting up your end-to-end encryption and limit the transfer of diagnostic and support data to the US, things like that. All of that is included in a blog that we'll link to and also in the, the larger documents. There is one caveat included in the the whole exercise, and that is that at this point we don't know yet what the national data protection authorities will say will say about any potential data transfers when using Zoom, because data right. will be flowing to the U.S. We know that there was a case in the past from the Hamburg DPA stating that at least the public authorities in Hamburg, Germany, could no longer use Zoom because of certain data transfers. But as you heard a few weeks ago, all the EU DPAs have a joint exercise in the use of cloud software providers ongoing, which will likely also include Zoom. So that is something that we will probably see and hear more about by the end of this year. And Privacy Company has also said that based on those outcomes, they may update their work in 2023. Yeah. So it's a good read. It's good news also for everybody. It's a long read. It's a long read, like all of those. So again, maybe for your summer break. But it's good news because the protections that they've negotiated, once again, 
have a, a broader effect than just for the Dutch government. Right. Uh, because it, they apply to all enterprise customers here in Europe. Yep. Which is, I think, a great thing. I think so, too. And I love these DPIAs that Shira did. As I said, I've, I've, I've begged her to do her next one on Google Analytics. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if that, if that works. And those were all the sweets that we had in store for this week. There were some good ones. I think so. Even in a relatively light week, there was sufficient to talk about. There we go. So next week. And so next episode, look forward to our 100th episode. We'll see what we can do uh, special. Not like we spent a lot of time planning the 100th episode. So uh, <laughs> if you do have any questions or comments or suggestions, feel free to shoot those over to us. We'll also post something on LinkedIn about it because we'd love to hear from y'all. Kind of cool, reaching 100. Yeah, I never expected that we would get that far, to be honest. I mean, it is, it is great doing this podcast, but to get to 100 is uh, is pretty special. Yeah, I hear that less than 1% of podcasts ever make it past something like 50 episodes. I'll have those stats that I'll post as well. So that'd be really interesting to compare those because everybody and their mother has started a podcast over COVID. We started before COVID. Just. Just. It had nothing to do with the shutdown. Started it quickly. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. So bring us to a close, Paul. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Serious Privacy. Do tell your friends and colleagues about us because our numbers are great. Last week, we counted 1,300 downloads, but we can always do better. With your help, we can. Please rate and review us. We love reading your feedback. And should you have any questions or suggestions, do reach out to us via seriousprivacy at trustarp.com or info at seriousprivacy.eu, via Twitter at at @podcastprivacy. You'll find us on LinkedIn. Just look for Serious Privacy. You'll find Kay on Twitter as Heart of Privacy and myself as Europol B. Until next week, goodbye. Bye, y'all. That was Serious Privacy. Hey listeners, looking to navigate the realm of responsible AI data privacy governance? Well, look no further. Absolutely. TrustArc is paving the way, offering a complete approach to managing privacy risks in the world of AI. TrustArc allows organizations to confidently use AI with personal or sensitive data, moving forward efficiently and cost-effectively. And here's the kicker. Protect your company and data with TrustArc's privacy-driven compliance software. Because they're... Deep automation streamlines data privacy governance, cutting your time to compliance with automated data mapping, risk assessments, and regulatory reporting. TrustArc's enhancements go way beyond that, helping organizations understand AI better and align cross-functionally on data governance, privacy, and security. Plus, they provide guidance on privacy governance for AI and how to mitigate risks using frameworks like NIST AI, OECD AI, and the Nemesis Privacy Management Accountability Framework. If you're aiming for compliance excellence, check out Privacy Central. Seriously, one of my best parts. It uses automation and privacy expertise to understand your requirements, build and manage your privacy program with ease. Oh, I agree. Privacy Central is your go-to to measure your progress toward responsible AI data compliance. Stay ahead with TrustArc's Privacy Central. Visit TrustArc.com now. Ask me a Paul if you have any questions. <laughs>